for another episode of Occam's Razor, a podcast about the unexplained. Brought to you on Podcast Radio with your host, Jim Birchall. Razor episode 55. I'm your host, Jim Birchall, and very special episode today. I'm coming to you live from the Lady Bowen, historic Lady Bowen Hotel in Thames, New Zealand, on a very soggy and damp day. Uh, so much so, I almost had to arrive here by arc. It was, <laughs> such was the weather conditions. Now, I've got Chris McKinnell here. Now, Chris is the grandson of pioneering paranormal investigators Ed and Lorraine Warren, who, uh, for people involved in the paranormal or those with even a passing interest, will uh, know the names of Ed and Lorraine um, as for their pioneering paranormal work and their stories being retold um, in such movies as The Conjuring. So first of all, welcome to New Zealand, Chris. How are you? Thank you very much, and I'm doing very well, thank you. I love your country. No, well, as I said, I hope you haven't come the best uh, weather at the moment. But, well, I've um, been here for a month. You've been here a month, so yeah. you've had you've had a taste of everything, so yeah. so to speak. That's excellent, Chris. Um, you are here in New Zealand. Uh, well, I know you've had a couple of events and speaking engagements and stuff like that, and you've and you've been in um, national media. I think you were on RNZ, weren't you? That's Karen, right. As Karen well as some uh, some breakfast TV show. A breakfast TV show as well. I, I don't really pay much attention. Yeah, that's them. okay. So, okay. did you come here specifically to do that? Are you on holiday? What What's your reason for being here? No, I actually I live out of a suitcase. Okay. Uh, I travel the world to learn and to let people know that the Warren Legacy Foundation for Paranormal Research is here to help people with their paranormal problems. We are a worldwide uh, voluntary organization that helps people anonymously and for free. Mm-hmm. And we've been, I've been doing this work myself for 42 years now. Is that right? Yeah. Uh, my grandmother and I started the foundation right after the first Conjuring movie came out. Uh, we realized that we were now global and we needed to expand. And I'd already been living all around the world doing volunteer service in Africa and elsewhere. So I'm very used to dealing with th- these kind of organizations. Yeah. I mean, not there's any organization quite like this one. Sure. You know, but I felt that this would be an opportunity for us to continue their legacy, their work, and to truly help people in need. So that's what I do. As a matter of fact, uh, Wednesday, I'll be flying back to Peru, Machu Picchu. Oh, nice. Um, Good. Be there for about a month and then back into Colombia. Again, all working with different members of the foundation, yep. helping them and uh, helping people in need. What does helping them entail in terms of the paranormal? <laughs> well, we get uh, referrals from people in need all the time. They contact us through our website, the Warren, warrenlegacy.com. Okay. Uh, there's a contact link on there. You fill out a Google form and then we get started. Uh, we deal with just about anything 
when the person believes that it's paranormal. Now, 90% of the time, there's nothing harmful there at all. Sure. You know, it's often your fear. Sure. And don't get me wrong. It could be out of control psychic abilities that are manifesting and you're maybe knocking things over that you don't mean to be knocking over. Uh, it may be that you're hearing footsteps in the hallway and you're terrified because you think, you know, it's something evil. You've mm. seen a shadow person and you think it's the devil because everybody talks about these shadow people. But the truth is, these shadow people are merely ghosts. Ghosts are people. That's all they are. And you pass people on the street every single day. How many of them are you afraid of? Mm. Why be afraid of these people? You know, these shadows, they're shadows because it takes tremendous power to manifest as a full apparition, a fully formed ghost. Right. So normally we see them as shadows. That's all it is. There's nothing terrifying about it. You know, it's our own fear that takes what might be a beautiful encounter and turns it into something negative. Sure. Yeah. And how do you, um, for lack of a better term, how do you vet people that, sorry, it's got a real grandfather clock saying hello. <laughs> it's a nice little background. It, it, absolutely. Um, sorry, how do, you, how do you vet people, so to speak, you know, they come to you and say, you know, we, we might have a, a haunting, I suppose, in our, mm -hmm. in our house. Um, and it's obviously affecting them enough that they're contact, well, getting in contact with you. Um, how do you decipher what's worth your time? If they're asking for our help, it's always going to be worth our time. Okay. Always. Yeah. Um, I think of us as paranormal social workers. Sure. Our job is to help you get the services you need. If it, what you really need is perhaps counseling, then either we're going to offer simple counseling, you know, because I am a therapist. Yeah. Um, or if it's more in depth, then yes, we're going to refer you. Uh, if it's just helping you to understand what you're dealing with, I'm happy to do that. I'm also a teacher. Okay. You know, and we've got plenty of others who are great teachers. If it's more than that, well, half of our job is diagnosis. It takes a lot of information to truly understand what we're dealing with mm. often. Yeah. Now, sometimes one or two phone calls is all we need. You know, and then we can help you to understand that, you know what, that was your dad. Yeah. You know, that was visiting you. You're right. It isn't anything you need to be afraid of. Yeah. You know, always judge what's happening in your home by how it's actually affecting you. Have you been hurt? You know, okay, a picture flew across the room. Did it hit you? No. Maybe it's somebody trying to get your attention, somebody who's not happy. You know, like, why are you in my home? They're thinking mm -hmm. they're lost. They're hurt. Often ghosts are more afraid than we are because they don't understand what's happened to them. Um, sometimes, you know, it's your keys go missing and you search all over the place and you know you've searched that tabletop seven times and then all of a sudden they're back on the tabletop. That's somebody trying to get your attention. They're sure. just saying, look, I'm here. Notice me. Mm. You know, nothing terrifying about that at all. Mm. Yeah. So we spend time doing that. But if it is in depth, if it is something necessary, then we get a team involved. And we've got great people. We've got everything from archbishops to psychologists, doctors, engineers, tech people, you name it. Um, 
we we're, we're a diverse bunch. So it's a, it's just kind of a global network, as it exactly. were, of, of people involved in investigative, well, um, people that know about this sort of thing. Yes. That's just way to look at it. Yeah. No, okay. Nobody's an expert in this field. You know, yeah. it, we're all just, we're, we're like blind men uh, touching out different parts of an elephant and trying to understand what it is we're touching. Yeah. You know, we don't have enough information yet, but we have enough to know how to help. And right now, that's my goal, is simply to help. Excellent. What got you, um, it's a stupid question to ask, what got you started, obviously, with your with your grandparents and, and the like? Uh, what age did you kind of get involved in, and what ultimately, was it just curiosity or was it just something that came with being part of the family? Well, the truth is, um, when I was about 10 years old, I... Well, even earlier, I can go back to when I was eight years old, I started becoming terrified of the dark. At three or four, I was locked in my grandparents' museum with Annabelle, and it terrified the crap out of me. Right. You know, this was when Annabelle first came to the house. I was, you know, the the movie, Annabelle movies are all fictional. None none of it's real. Yeah. Uh, But Annabelle is very real. Mm. Um. But that had a strong impact on me. And I started sensing spirits. Uh, you know, it's normal. Uh, these abilities are genetic. They, they're passed down uh, from my grandmother mm-hmm. and from her mother before her. And Do you consider yourself like an empath or a psychic? Or? You know, I don't like titles. Right. Um, and I don't like labels because I, I believe that they are self-limiting. Mm-hmm. I have been able to speak to the dead. I've been able to touch things and pick up vibrations and pick up information. Uh, I've the psychometry sort of yeah, stuff. Yeah, clairvoyance. Uh, I've been able to hear things clairaudiently, but I don't label it. You know, um, empathy. Yeah, absolutely. I'm very empathic as well. But I think often human beings want to put things in boxes. Mm. And it's very, yeah, yeah, and it's a shame because it really just limits us. You're you're more than just one thing. You're many things that make you who you are, and that's how I feel about all of the different facets mm. of myself. Are you someone that includes um, the scientific method in your investigations, or is it kind of more holistic than that? I always want evidence. Mm. I don't trust psychics. Mm-hmm. I'm a psychic. I don't Why don't you trust psychics? No psychics, 100%. Mm. And I've seen far too many psychics or people who call themselves psychics go in, make a pronouncement to a client, and then say, oh, yeah, it's a demon. We can't help you. And think of the damage that that does to a person. They are looking at you as some kind of expert. Mm. So they take what you said, and now, even if you didn't have something like that, Perhaps you'll now start manifesting it yourself through a thought form or something we call an egregore. Mm. You know? And then it can get out of control. You can create your own poltergeist phenomena. So, no. If a psychic goes into a case with us, they go in blind. They don't know anything. They write down their feelings. They don't share them with anyone except the team leader. And the team leader doesn't even look at them until after they've done their own investigation that night. Mm -hmm. Then they look at it together. They see what 
there's any what's right if, if there's yeah. anything there because sometimes psychics get things right and that's great then we've got something that we can back that up with but i don't want them to go in biased looking for what that psychic says is there mm. that's not the proper method um but say we use a scientific method well the problem is science as wonderful as it is is very limited psychology Mm. isn't done in a scientific method. Mm. You know, uh, history isn't done exactly in a scientific method. N neither can this be. We have to be more open-minded than that. And it's a developing science. Right? Absolutely. Right. Or field of study. Yeah, field of study. <laughs> yeah. Um, I'm, I'm more into quantum physics than I am into uh, religion. Yeah. Uh, having, I'm a pastor. Yeah. Um, but I'm a pastor without a religion. Okay. All right. I don't think God gives a, a damn what your religion is. Mm -hmm. He cares about, have you learned the one real basic lesson that every religion teaches? As you do unto the least of my brother, so you do unto me. Mm -hmm. If you're practicing that, that is what your faith should be based on. If you're doing that, you're as close to God as you're ever going to get. Now, there's a great Hindu um, proverb or tale about God being like a man on a mountain top. And there are many paths up that mountain. It's only the fool running around the bottom saying you're going the wrong way that never gets any closer to God. Yeah. You know, so I didn't get into, go back to your question mm. earlier. I didn't get into this out of some fascination. I got into this at 10 years old. I was investigating other religions, going to other churches. Um, and my, my parents were open-minded enough to allow me to do that. So I got to study with the Mormons, the Jehovah Witnesses, Taoists, uh, Zen Buddhists, um, you know, and then as I got older, I, I traveled the world and studied with so many different people, including the Dalai Lama. Um, <clears throat> Not to be name dropping, <laughs> um, no. But I think what I learned was every single religion in the world has a different way that's effective in dealing with the paranormal, and I want to learn as many of those ways as possible because often the Christian manner is very confrontational and it's um, it can be very dangerous and abrasive, but it isn't necessary. Um, I have found that psychic phenomena, especially things that are not human spirits, they conform to our psychic boundaries, our expectations. The paranormal will manifest differently around the world based on our cultural and spiritual beliefs. So you're never going to get a Hindu demon in a Muslim household. So they might Christian. see a, they might see a you know jinn or exactly versus yeah yeah and now we're seeing jinn in the United States because of all of the um, servicemen who suffered or who served in uh, the Middle East sure yeah and they brought back these beliefs and these things because they experienced them in the Middle East and so now they're manifesting as that in the United States whereas you know 30, 40 years ago that never happened. Mm. Because you know. you're saying it's because people were indoctrinated into one, in this case, Christianity. Exactly. Um, and there wasn't much scope to, to accept anything from 
from yes. anywhere else. Exactly. You know, mm. I live in uh, South America, mm. and I often get asked by the people there, you know, why is it that the hauntings in places like uh, North America or Europe are so crazy and out of control, poltergeists and possessions. We don't have any of that stuff here. I had to really think about that and come up with my own theory. Again, theory. Mm. Um, I'm constantly adapting my beliefs based on the information I take in. And what I have seen, I, I hate the term magic. I really do. It, I find it personally offensive. I have to think of it as quantum physics for me to be able to do this. Do this. To me, it's directed energy through faith and intention, through focused intention. Now, a ritual helps you to focus that intention to help that energy to move. I have seen amazing things that people have been capable of. I've been in a bed with my cousin in sleeping bags that flew across the room, smashed down and broke into pieces. And you would think, oh, my God, a demon did that. No, it was the 10-year-old kid we kicked out of his bed that was pissed off. We took, <laughs> we took his bed, yeah. you know? Yeah. So that says to me, look at what we are capable of and what could we possibly do if we gave up our fear and started using our energy properly. You look at yogis, you look at Tibetan Buddhist monks and what they're capable of doing. We can all do that. It just takes a great deal of discipline. So you're saying be more accepting of your surroundings or be more open mind that there is this energy there that a lot of us sort of just discount or don't, don't know how to tune into. That's true. And it's also true that fear can manifest very destructively or anger. Uh, my grandmother in the demonologist uh I, 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 it's, it's funny because I'm just rereading it now for our Patreon supporters. And I, I came across this and it was like, Graham, that's pretty good. That's exactly what I say to all of my clients, mm. which is the first thing you want to do is stop arguing in the house. Start being happier. You know, love one another. Clean your home out. You know, get rid of the clutter. Make it a happy place. Because when you raise the energy of your home, when you make it a, a healthy place, nine times out of 10, that's going to stop most of the phenomena that's happening in that house. I have Are you found, saying it feeds off negative <clears throat> energy? and It or we. Mm. Not sure yep. there. Uh, because... I've worked some horrific cases. You know, uh, there's a, the case of the nun, which, by the way, doesn't exist. The nun does not exist. Okay. All right. That was created by James Wan. Uh, it's just a monster made up to connect two separate cases, Amityville and Enfield, during Conjuring 2. And it was so popular that they made another movie out of it. A spinoff, right? Yeah. Yeah. But in that, there's a character named Frenchie. Now, Frenchie's real name was Maurice Thuriald. That was my case. Okay. And Maurice did come under possession. I was at his exorcism. As a matter of fact, that's where my grandfather had his real heart attack. His first heart attack was during that exorcism. No, really? Yeah. Um, my grandfather was not an exorcist. It was uh, Bishop uh, Robert McKenna that was performing the exorcism, and I was the guy who had to stand between the bishop and Maurice. It was ultimately successful, but because at this point we didn't understand 
how important psychology was. I was starting to, I was still in college, but I was starting to already get it, but we didn't deal with the underlying traumas that had been in Maurice's life. Mm -hmm. And there's always some underlying thing that makes one person vulnerable and not another. We deal with that as well. We, we, yes, you asked earlier, is it a holistic approach? Absolutely it is. We deal with not just paranormal. We have to deal with the drug addiction, alcohol, uh, domestic violence, PTSD, whatever it is. Because without that, yeah, we can get rid of things. We can uh, do a house cleansing, make the energy feel great. But because you're not great, you're just going to attract that again or manifest it again. So, you know... Again, back to your original question. <laughs> sure. Sorry. How do, you, how do you isolate the two in terms of someone who has, you know, as you say, maybe they're suffering from drug addiction or mental health problems or anything like that? See, this is the thing. A lot of people want to say, oh, it's just drug addiction. No. Mm. No. It's the drug addiction is what makes you vulnerable to the paranormal. We're not saying to you, oh, yeah, no, you're schizophrenic. Forget it. We're not going to help you. Not at all. You know? We're going to take that seriously. We're going to make sure that you're getting the proper treatment for it. But we're also going to look at what is actually happening around you. Mm-hmm. All right, you're hearing voices. Fine. That could be schizophrenia. You know? uh, but things are also flying across the room. Other people's have, people have witnessed it. Okay. Maybe you're also a psychic without controllabilities. Or maybe you have actually angered some spirit around you. You know, people on the autistic spectrum are incredibly gifted, Mm. often psychically gifted. Uh, I can point to so many different cases where um, they have manifested poltergeist activity um, when they were upset. I honestly think that people on the autistic spectrum may be the next step in our evolution. And we need to treat them with respect. But... just because they're on the spectrum doesn't mean this, that things aren't happening around them and we have to deal with those things. Mm. So a lot of time our, our clients are afraid to reveal their problems. They're bipolar or you know drug addicted or what have you. And that's a shame because it's like going to see the doctor and only giving the doctor half the information he needs to diagnose you. Mm. you know, we do need people to be completely open and upfront with us. We're not going to judge you. You know, but we do need to understand it. Otherwise, we can't properly help you. But I started going with my grandparents on lectures when I was 14. And I watched my grandmother use her abilities at that age. And then when I was 16, my grandfather took me on my first case. It was an over-the-top poltergeist case. I mean, banging on the walls. They were shaking clawing inside the walls, growling coming from the walls. My grandfather left me in the dark in the upstairs bedroom while they're downstairs <laughs> smudging and uh, using Holy Church incense to try to piss this thing off so they understand what they're dealing with. Sure. Not my way of doing things, especially because no. I was afraid of the dark at that point. And I'm sitting there in the dark listening to this all happen around me. But they kept trying to come up the stairs with this... Uh, pot of church incense and it kept going out now this stuff normally once it's lit it's lit every time they'd light it again it would go out as soon as they got on the stairs 
So about an hour later, they called me down. We tried some other religious provocation and everything stopped. But about 3 a.m., my grandfather and the woman of the house were on a couch on the other side of the living room. The husband and another one of our people, and the man named Paul Barks, was upstairs in the, one of the children's bedrooms. We were all on radio, uh, radio program on telephones. So I'm on the telephone with one hand, crucifix in the other hand, and under my breath I'm saying, by the power of Jesus Christ, I command it be gone. By the power of Jesus Christ, I command it be gone. You know, because I'm scared. Mm. Two hulking black shapes come down the stairs and they're standing there looking at us. Like it appears to be. And we're in the dark and I can still see these things. Every one of us can see these things. The woman screams that her face is on fire. And when my grandfather puts the flashlight on her face, we can see three claw marks appear on her left cheek and blood dripping down on her, on her chest. And then that pot with the Holy Church incense that we had given up on, mm-hmm. we had left it in the kitchen. It came flying out of the kitchen around the corner and just missed my head. It hit the window behind me. The shade flew up. The pot crumpled. A metal pot. And the window didn't break. I said a certain expletive over the radio. Yeah. Uh, understandably so. Understandably so. Yeah. Um, and the woman screamed she wanted to get out of the house. And I thought, you know, that's a terrific idea. Allow me to help you with that. So I ran to the front door. As the lights now are starting to go on and off. And the do- we had been through that door a couple of times. Mm-hmm. And now the door was locked. It wouldn't open for us. And then that easy chair I'd just been sitting in, a recliner, comes tumbling across the room at me. And then the door opened by itself. My grandmother and I, or I mean, not my grandmother, the lady of the house and I ran out of the house. One of us got physically ill, uh, vomiting. I don't remember whom. I really honestly don't. Mm-hmm. Um, and we left my grandfather in there with these two hulking black shapes on the phone, calm as could be. Amazing. Mm. That was my first night. And Not a bad introduction then. Not a bad introduction. <laughs> uh, the truth is, though... I don't do this out of some interest. Mm. I don't like the paranormal. Um, Why don't you like the paranormal? A lot of reasons. Mm-hmm. A lot of reasons. One, I've recognized I'm never going to have the answers I want in this lifetime. Does that frustrate you? It's frustrating. Mm. Yeah, of course it is. I think when we have the unified field theory in quantum physics, it'll start to help us to unlock some of these mysteries. Yep. I, I think I'm taking steps that are helping me to understand things. For instance, the fact that culture and spiritual beliefs shape hauntings. Um, but I also don't like the huge egos that exist out there. And I don't like the cowboy mentality of so many of these YouTubers and television personalities who stir up trouble if you did any of the crap that you see on these shows... Are you talking about when the paranormal investigators will um, shout at the spirits? Yes, and then, I hate it. Yeah, and say, so call them murderers and, yeah. and that sort of thing. Yeah. Now, that, that just upsets me to no end. Um, we're dealing with real human beings. You know, not just the living ones who are suffering in the home because they're terrified. And what you're doing is terrifying them more. Hmm. But also... The human spirits that have been left in these homes, 
Now, they don't want to be stirred up. They don't want you to come in screaming and yelling at them. Treat them with some respect. Show them some dignity. They're just people. Mm-hmm. And maybe they need your help. When I go into a home, I'm asking, all right, what's going on here? How can we help you? What is it that is wrong? What is needed for you to pass over? And then we try to help them. What, what causes the spirits to be stuck in front of a purgatory or not pass over? You know, there's so many answers to that because we all have free will. Mm. Uh, often, if people are in denial, uh, they about being dead. You know. About being dead. Yeah. You know, um, some of the most tragic ones for me are the people who are afraid to pass over because they've done something in life that terrifies them, and they think that they're going to go to hell if they pass over. Mm-hmm. I personally know that's not going to happen. It isn't going to happen. You know, there are souls that are so black that they can't get close to the light of God. And so they hide in the shadows because that light hurts them. Now, but there are no devils and pitchforks out there to, to harm. There's no lakes of fire. Mm-hmm. You know, none of that is, is real. River sticks. Yeah, no, no, none of that. <laughs> none of that? Okay. No, we, they create their own hell on earth. Mm-hmm. You know, but there's also those who have unfinished business. You know, they've got to get a message across. For instance, um, my fiance had cancer. And she passed away uh, about 15 years ago. And it was a tough time. She stopped talking to me for a while there just before she died. Um, And so she really needed to get a message across to me. Now, she visited me right after she died. My grandmother was in the next room sleeping. My mother had just gotten up to go to the bathroom I was in my son's room sleeping in his bed. She, my, my son was with them. And my fiance came to me and she just said, Shush, it's okay. You don't have to say anything. It's okay. I'm fine. But I'm calling out to my mother and my mother thinks I'm talking in my sleep. So she doesn't even come in to see what's going on. And that wasn't good enough. That message wasn't clear enough. So a few weeks later, I hear heavy footsteps coming down the hallway. My, my fiance was a heavy woman. And I opened my eyes. And in the mirror on the bedroom uh, door, in pitch blackness, I could see her in the reflection in, my bed, in bed, our bed with, up, <laughs> with her uh, propped up on one elbow, looking down at me with a smile on her face from behind me. And I closed my eyes immediately. Not a logical thing to do, I I know, but I was so afraid I was gonna have to watch her go again. Mm -hmm. And she got right in front of me and she said, I love you. And then she kissed me on the lips and she was gone. That's unfinished business, Mm. you know? But then there are those who wanna, you know, stay to protect someone or to protect something that they love, like their home. Mm. That happens a lot too. Or there are people who are stuck simply because they died violently or maybe from a drug overdose or drinking and they're very confused, high fever, what have you. And that now they're, they're just not able to understand what's happened. So we help them 
uh, suicides can be pretty tragic. Um, can you imagine being so desperate to end it all that you kill yourself and then there you're, you're still there? Mm. Now you've got to see how this has affected other people. That can be a horrifying experience. I've helped a number of people who have committed suicide to either immediately pass over or to get a message across like to their mother first and then help them to pass over. Um, and that can be extremely rewarding, even if it's very, very sad as well. How do you differentiate between, um, as we're talking about spirits kind of being trapped between, between the realms, um, and when people talk of ghosts leaving an imprint um, on their environment, are they two mutually exclusive? Yes. Uh, what, yeah. you're, what you're referring to there is something known as a residual haunting. Sure. And a residual haunting is simply a psychic impression on the land, something like a, a battlefield yeah. where so many died and a, a person who is very sensitive might hear the clash of armor and the swords, but that doesn't mean that there are actual ghosts there. It's just that some memory of that place has been imprinted on there. A lot of times people go into like dungeons and castles in Europe and hear moaning and clanking of chains. Mm. But no, there's no poor sad fellow still chained up in the dungeon after centuries. It's simply that you're a very sensitive person and it's coming across to you. Stone seems to... Uh, absorb that kind of energy best so it's sort of in the stone tape theory kind of realm yes exactly that yes yeah but what about the manifestations um when when people say we've talked about shadow figures and and so forth uh before when people are seeing a physical outline or or whatever like gettysburg happens all the time in gettysburg i've heard that yeah um, that's ghost central, isn't it? Oh, and it's, it's quite a it's quite a place. Yeah, yeah. I, I used to live near, right near it. Um, I had a friend. Well, I have a friend who's a member of the foundation who had this Confederate soldier she believed was a reenactor walk by her and her son. Is that right? And they, her son said, "Mom, you got to get a picture with him. He's he looks fantastic, and he's just going around a stone." Mm-hmm. And so she's, you're right, let's go. And they went around the stone and there was nobody there. And they looked and looked and they went all around the stone and no way he could have gotten anywhere because it was a big field. Mm. Why, why are some places more charged than others and <clears throat> just because of what's happened there? Or Well, you got to remember, yeah, part of it is that mm. tragedy creates the ghost phenomena. Yeah. And often a person can get trapped in their final moments and relive them over and over again, trying to come to terms with what's happened to them. Uh, there was a little girl in uh, Lancaster General Hospital in Pennsylvania who died in the 1950s. Um, and one of my friends, her, his daughter was very sensitive and took a photo and there's this pretty little girl with a plaid uh, dress and a, I believe, white uh, shirt. I've got the photo. Um, and she'd been stuck in the hospital for 65 years or so. And she just didn't understand what had happened to her. And for her, time passes much differently. Right. You know, so the... My friend is very talented, and he helped his daughter to help the child pass over. So that was solved, at least. Mm. 
But the, to is, it, question, is it worse dealing with children, spirits of children? Worse, no, I mean, emotionally no. to you. But. You know, here in uh, the Lady Bowen, uh, just the other night, uh, we were doing a live investigation, and we were upstairs in room seven, which was an amazing uh, investigation. This is a terrific place. You know, nothing negative, nothing bad or evil is here. And as long as you're treating the spirits with respect, then they may actually, you know, let the, let you know they're here. Mm-hmm. You know, if not, if you're not interested, they're going to probably leave you completely alone. But we were trying to help. And one of the spirits that came through up there was a, a, a child. And we have all of these gadgets uh, that light up when you get close to them and everything. And we put one down on the floor. Well, actually two on the floor because something coming through one of our boxes was saying that it was too high and they couldn't touch it. And we realized we were dealing with a child. So we put them on the floor and the child went over and touched one box. And then we said, can you go to the other one now and touch that? And that way we know you're really talking to us, that it's really you. And the child went right over there and touched it. And then we started talking. I started talking to the child and helped the child to pass over. And to me, that's rewarding. Mm. You know, so not terrible. I was in a sanitarium. It was a former tuberculosis sanitarium in um, outside of San Jose, Costa Rica about two years ago. And I was in the children's ward. This is place had been closed for ages, but it was famous for its hauntings. And my team had wanted me to go there and check it out with them. So I normally don't go to abandoned places. I don't go to places unless I'm there to help. Mm-hmm. Well, I got lucky and I got to help. Um, I got away from my entourage who all wanted to videotape me and everything. Sure. I'm like, guys, I'm not famous and I'm not popper. I don't need paparazzi. Just give me a moment. Well, yeah. <laughs> and I, I went into this room and a spirit little child came up to me and the child, I was speaking in Spanish, but the child still was too afraid to pass over. I said, your, your mother and father are waiting for you. Don't worry. Do you see that light? Yes, but I know. No, no. And I had asked my grandparents to help me that day. Now they both passed. But all of a sudden, I'm very aware that off to my right hand side is my grandfather. Like his arms are folded and he's kind of looking at me like, Chris, what the hell are you doing? But my grandfather. Um, but then my grandmother comes from the left and she gets walks over to the child, gets down on one knee and just puts your hand out. And the child takes her hand and they go off into the light. So to me, incredibly beautiful experience. Mm. You know, that's that's fantastic. Is this something you view in like your mind's eye or? It depends. In this particular case, it was my mind's eye. Okay. Um, but other times it's, it's as physical as seeing you right there. So when they present themselves um, is what I'm getting at. Is it something, I'm just trying to get my head around how, how you see them, so to speak. All sorts of different ways. Okay. All sorts of different ways. I, I can hear them audibly, you know, actually hear You mean words. that they'll speak to? Yes. Yeah. yeah. I'll hear actual words. Uh, other times, I'll kind of get this impression, and I'll try to work it out, and I'll try to talk it out. 
and I will be talking to somebody living who has information. And I'm saying, you know, I don't know why I'm saying these particular words, but do they have meaning for you? And then I'm getting that affirmation that we're, I'm heading on the right track. I'm going the right place there. Um, so you see these psychics on TV and, and well, there are people who can do cold reading. <laughs> it's hard reading and, and cold reading. Yeah. you John Edwards and these sort of people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 And he, he always seems to find an older male figure, and he'll just find a common denominator and. And say, so, you know, he's clutching at his chest uh, an old man with grey hair. I mean, that, and everyone that's in the audience, well, not everyone, but most people are there because they've, let, they've lost someone recent. They want to connect with or reconnect with. Or, exactly. And, and I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't do group readings. I don't do individual readings. Yeah. Um, I used to read auras back before I was 26, but I terrified people because I knew too much. Okay. And I couldn't do that anymore. I, I hated it. You know, I had one girl in college, when I was in college, I'd never met her before, but I was well known for doing lectures even then. Mm-hmm. And so she had met me in a bar and wanted me to read her aura. And I did. And then she ran screaming out of the bar and across campus because I terrified her so much because I knew too much. Oh, really? Yeah, and I just which is kind of the opposite of what you're hoping to achieve. Yeah, yeah. So no, I I don't ever read or it's an invasion of privacy for me. The most I'll do is if you ask, I might you know check out your energy and see if how you're doing. Mm -hmm. But I am not going to read auras ever again. I I can't. I, I haven't seen an aura in decades. What sort of information does reading an aura give? Oh, my, as my grandmother put it, the aura is only the table of contents to a person. Then you have to go beyond that and read the book. Mm-hmm. And you can go pretty damn far. You can, you can know life experiences and, you know, that your father had molested you at eight years old and that you then became promiscuous when you were 13 and you had gotten pregnant at 16 and... You know, you can you can get all that information. Yeah. You know, um, but I also know that there are a lot of con men out there. I don't charge for any of my services. And up until up until my grandmother officially retired, I didn't let people know who I was. You know, up until I was 26. Sure. I did the talk shows. I did all of that junk. Yeah. But I hated it. I was in a bunch of their books. I hated it. So when they did the second and third and whatever editions, they asked me to sign a contract allowing them to use my name. And I said, no, thank you. Just changed my name in there. You know, uh, but now I have no choice. Now I have to step forward. Because uh, of the foundation. Well, that and because who else is going to be there? You know, somebody's got to represent my grandparents now. They can't do it themselves. Right. You know, for the last 20 years, my grandmother didn't do anything, really. Um, I was behind the scenes doing a lot of that. And now I have no choice. Um, so I'm, I'm willing to do it at my age. I'm 58. So it's like, what the hell? Sure. I might as well. 
you know, I'm here to educate and help people. Mm -hmm. uh, but I don't relish the idea of fame. I hate the idea of fame. Matter of fact, it scares crap out of me. I'm more interested in retaining my soul than becoming like these idiots I see on television and YouTube. <laughs> Yeah, this Ghost Adventure show. I don't know if you get that Zach, down here. Zach Bain. Uh, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. I, I do know what you're talking about. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that guy. He, is he gets Pete, Pete Barnum. Show, oh uh, yeah, please. I don't even look. I'm an exorcist who doesn't believe in demons. Okay. All right. I have done six or seven exorcisms in my life. That's it. Yeah. And anybody who tells you, oh, I did 350 last year, you did what? Mm. Now, did they get medically checked out? Psychologically checked out? How much background information did you? Tape before you did your 350th. Mm. You know, no, sorry. That's ridiculous. Mm. Um, I think that these things that we call demons are certainly not fallen angels. They're not anything that we can really understand. They're probably thought forms that we have manifested ourselves. They've taken on a life of their own. Don't get me wrong. They are spirits. Mm. They are real spirits now, but we created them. We have manifested them. Then they take on a life of their own. That's what you get with the poltergeist. It's a spirit created by us that then gets out of control. It's also known as a tulpa or a, an egregore. Yeah. So that is what I believe currently it to be. Now, five years ago, I was saying, you know, are they other dimensional beings? Are they uh, aliens? I, I don't know. But no, I don't believe that anymore either. Well, because what was that determination, though? How did you come to that point? <laughs> they don't show true intelligence most of the time. And when it is true intelligence, like, for instance, uh, sometimes the victim will start speaking in a language they've never known. Or they'll have information that they couldn't possibly have gotten naturally. Now, a superstitious person will say, well, that's proof of the demonic. No, that's proof that somebody is incredibly psychically gifted and out of control. And now, not proof, but good evidence that this is the case, that they're out of control psychics. They're manifesting something powerful because of underlying issues like PTSD or schizophrenia or what have you. And now it's externalized into a powerful spirit that can cause harm. I have had the gas turned on on my stovetop three nights in a row without the flame going on because I was about to go on a case. I had another time when I arranged uh, an exorcism with another exorcist, not with myself. And that night at 2 a.m., the TV and the computer both turn on blaring at full volume. And my wife was like, what is that? We gotta go check it out. Come on. Like, no, no, just ignore it. Just ignore it. It'll stop. And it stopped. And then a few minutes later, blares on again. Like, Fine, I'll go turn it off. And I unplug TV and I unplug the computer. Next morning, the uh, computer was dead for six months. Took six months to fix. Darn it. Um, I've been had the car brakes go off when I had just finished uh, breaking a multi. Uh, generational curse. Again, not a fan of the idea of magic, but if somebody is intensely focusing negative energy at you through a ritual, they can actually cause harm. Mm. 
Yeah, and if you are giving them power through your belief and through your fears and anger or hatred or what have you, then you can help it manifest. You can feed it so it gets out of control. It may start as a small thing, but because of your fears, it grows into a big thing. Hmm. Where do you sit on things like voodoo dolls and stuff, if, if that's the case? Again, uh, well, this is actually even more interesting to me because those are that's one of the reasons I think in South America, to get back to something I started earlier, yeah. um, they don't have the over-the-top hauntings most of the time. It's because they still use magic and they focus their intentions through that magic. So you'll get an awful lot of pain and hardship and and strange occurrences but it's focused on one individual Mm. um and in the western world because we don't have that tradition of magic anymore that's when the energy gets out of control and wild and we get the -the over-the-top hauntings um but with things like voodoo dolls or other types of medicine uh, magic excuse me that use body parts and blood and hair and things like that. I think there's quantum entanglement going on. And what you do to that object that has your energy, you can then also do to another person. There was just recently an article that was showing that quantum effects are happening on the uh, macroscopic scale. I shared it with my um, with my directors, as a matter of fact, just a couple of weeks ago. I probably can find it for you after, if you like. Sure, yeah. Um, now, still, we're talking just atomic particles or things like one two hundredth the width of a human hair. But at the atomic level, that's humongous. That's mm. gigantic. And if that's able to happen, spooky action at a distance on that level, well, see, we're starting to now get evidence that what I see and what many of my researchers see is also possible. They do talk about quantum entanglement with siblings, um, twins and stuff like that, don't Absolutely, they? yeah. Um, how does one person's thought pattern affect another people? How do they, how do they interconnect? You know, I, that fascinates me as well. Um, I have had it happen to me, and I don't have a twin. I've had it with others, people I've loved, and I would hear my name called when someone was in trouble. And I'd know that person was in trouble and I'd have to reach out to them. But you'll, you know, there are so many stories of twins who were separated at birth and yet they grew up with so much in common and life histories in common, you know, just mirroring one another throughout their lives until they finally meet. And that to me is your your idea of quantum entanglement. Yes, it's fascinating, actually, because you, yeah, you've even heard sort of the stimulus and stuff where one person will feel the pain of another and, and things yes. like that. Yeah, but strong empath can. Yeah, wow. fascinating. We're here at the uh, Lady Bowen Hotel, historic Lady Bowen Hotel in Thames, New Zealand. Um, here with Chris McKinnell. Um, Chris, I just wanted to shift a little bit to you're here for love. On Friday night, we did a, we did a ghost investigation, mm-hmm. for lack of a better term, um, with, with you know members of the public came along, didn't they, and, and that yeah. sort of thing. Um, we spoke about, was it Room 7, 
uh, upstairs in the presence of a of a little girl. What? Um, well, child. Child. I, I, okay. I, I, we don't know if I it was a girl. I think it was a girl, but I'm not positive. Okay. So, child. When there's a mass event for, you know, uh, how many people came along, first of all? Uh, just 12. Okay, 12. Yeah. All right. I, and honestly, I don't normally do these events. Yeah. But... It also cost me a tremendous amount of money to get here to do things <laughs> sure. to help the public. So yep. I had to raise some money. You got to claw that back, right? Yeah. Okay. Sure. I'm on a, I'm on social security pension. Right. You know, I'm not a wealthy person. Yeah. 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 No, I understand. Um, when there is twelve people participating or or more, um, the spirits. Well, obviously not on this occasion. They weren't scared, as it were, to to present to themselves. Do they? tend to make themselves known um, more to an individual or to a group? Because you see in these group events, you see a lot of people playing with, with Ouija boards and stuff like that. And I wouldn't allow that. You wouldn't allow that? No. Okay. Uh, and we did one method as a large group. It's known as the Estes method. Yep. Uh, for your audience who may not know what that is, we have one individual who's wearing headphones listening to a spirit box and calling out what they hear. Mm. They cannot hear us. We're the ones asking questions of the spirits and trying to see if we're getting intelligent answers from the person with the headphones. And we did get some excellent uh, results there. Uh, it's all been recorded, so eventually I'm sure uh, Haunted New Zealand will be releasing that information. But I personally want to make it very clear that spirit communication is not a game and it should never be taken lightly. Uh, when we do it, we, we have a lot of experience of what we're doing. So it's a little safer for us. You know, again, knowing how to set psychic boundaries is all important, but it's a slippery slope. And if you're somebody who's negative or a teenager without out of control emotions because everything's brand new to you mm. and you want to contact, you know, the devil mm. through your Ouija board, you may attract something negative or manifest something negative yourself. So you've got to be extremely careful. You know, it isn't something to be taken lightly. I, I do not ever it- want anybody to see what I do. And try to replicate it because they think they've learned from watching a 20 minute or 40 minute video. Mm. You know, we have a YouTube channel, it's called The Warren Files. And on there, it's about 100 videos now where you will learn an awful lot about different cases, how to work with your psychic abilities, uh, what can happen on a case, all sorts of things. But you will never get enough information that you could start go out and do what we do. That'd be like watching a TV doctor show and thinking you go out and practice medicine. Sure. That, that's ridiculous. I, I don't, every every not, teenager's sort of had, you know, a group of teenagers that had to go on a Ouija board at some point, haven't they? I even did. Yeah. 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 You'd think with my grandparents, I would know better, <laughs> sure. but I did it with my mother of all people. Sure. <laughs> you know, but it isn't, it isn't, I'm it's just Russian roulette. You know, and normally it's harmless. It's just a game most of the time. Mm. It's just that one person that, for them, it, it can be a terrifying nightmare. I'm just wondering how, with a dozen people doing this all at once, how you keep the, 
you know, we've all, we've all heard about the people moving the glass, you know, in the case of, you know, the Ouija board mm-hmm. and spelling things out. And there's always someone who's, well, more open to the power of suggestion than other people. Um, do those people sort of hinder an investigation? We, we kind of don't use them. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Uh, but how do you get to that point? Because you must be approached by people who, who want to work. Oh, sure. Well, I mean, say, absolutely. But, you know, the people who join the foundation, we vet them very carefully, mm-hmm. you know, because they represent my family. Yeah. And they are there to serve the public. Yeah. They're not there for their own ego. They're not there, you know, for, for cheap thrills. If that's what you want, there are plenty of other groups out there. Thank you for your time. Bye-bye. Mm. You know, I, I take this far too seriously because for me, it's not it's not about excitement. It's about helping people. It's all it's ever been about. You know, I started in the Peace Corps in West Africa, in the poorest country in the world when I was 22. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's been my entire life is helping people in different locations in the world. You know, Thailand or Israel or... Uh, South America or the United States, it doesn't matter. My whole life has been about trying to help and serve. I'm not, I'm not trying to, I'm, I'm not looking for the 15 minutes of fame. Mm. How do you balance the two though when Hollywood comes calling, obviously with the legacy of the, you know. And, and I, don't have anything, I don't have anything to do with those movies. No. Not a thing. No. no I've never but you must get people approach you um, sure. on the back of those, obviously. Yes, I do. As a matter of fact, I am working on a couple of projects, but they are projects for teaching. Um, we are working on one right now, which I'm very excited about. Uh, they're going to be putting together something known as a sizzle reel. Uh, which is to be presented to like networks and stuff, but it's. Uh, do you remember Anthony Bourdain? Yep, the Fam- chef. Yeah, the famous chef who traveled all around the world yep. and taught people about different cultures while also showing them foods. Yeah. Well, we're going to do something very similar. We're going to travel around the world teaching people how the paranormal has manifested in different locations, but it, we're not going to do the haunting of the week crap. You know, <laughs> yeah. no. Uh, instead, you know, we'll, we'll go learn from Maori shaman or we'll go to, uh, a UFO expert in, um, Machu Picchu. Yeah. And then we'll maybe go to the Brujo Mayor, the, uh, the witch mayor of Catamaco in Mexico. who was a friend of mine and learn from him and teach people while also exposing them to the cultures. I, I think the worst thing in the world is fear and fear comes from ignorance and i want to get rid of people's fear i want to empower people more than anything else you know my grandparents i love and respect them so much but they they scared people they enjoyed scaring people i enjoy making you feel powerful Mm. you know yeah i'll tell you a ghost story or two but i also want you to understand you really do have far more power then you know, mm. and you don't have to fall into the dark. You can raise yourself up. That's the way to put it. There's Chris McKinnell um, from the Warren Legacy Foundation. Fascinating to talk to you today, Chris. Thank you. I much. can't let you go uh, without giving me your number one, um, well, number one event that's, that changed you significantly in your in in your life in in terms of the paranormal, in terms of paranormal <clears> investigation. <throat> 
What's one thing that really stands out? Other than the first night, which con- which cured my fear of the dark some <laughs> weird way, yeah. um, it was the Maurice Theriot case. Uh, because even though the exorcism was successful, because we didn't deal with the underlying issues that made him vulnerable, he slid back into the darkness a couple of years later, started coming out of possession again. And then he replicated exactly what his father had done which was his father had called him one day and for the first time ever said, Maurice, I just want you to know I love you. Then he set the phone down and while Maurice listened, he went into the other room with a gun, shot Maurice's mother to death and killed killed himself. Two years after the exorcism, Maurice waited for his wife to come home, shot her as she was coming out of the car, blew her arm off, she still lived, he dragged her bleeding into the kitchen, sat her at the kitchen table, and for about 10 or 15 minutes, sat there with his eyes looking like a snake's slit eyes. And Nancy thought, this is it, I'm gonna die, just like his mother. Mm-hmm. And at the last moment, Maurice turned the, the shotgun on himself and blew his head off. That's why we are so careful and we take this so seriously because there are real people's lives involved. And this is why we do ask for psych evaluations if we feel it's necessary or medical evaluations. We had a case with a woman who was diagnosed with MS and she would not believe it was MS when she would feel things hitting her in the back. Uh, have you been to the doctor? Not in 20 years, but you were diagnosed with MS. Yeah, I don't believe it. Can't you see the videos, she would say? Yes, I see all the videos you send to me, but that's dust flying through the air. Don't you see the man coming down the hall? There's no man coming down the hall. I'm, I've looked at that video 15 times. There's nothing there. You do need to get an evaluation. But the thing is, we can only help people who want to help themselves. In this particular case, we could not get her to go to the doctor no matter what we tried. So, you know, I always have the best interests of our clients at heart. That's first and foremost, that's our goal with the foundation. Our clients always come first, nothing else. And then educate the public, educate the next generation of researchers, you know, because of that Wild West mentality that's out there. But then finally, um, we have two psychic support groups online. Uh, my grandmother used to uh, educate psychics one-on-one, but after the movies came out, that was impossible. <laughs> cool. Yeah. And with my therapy uh, background, I realized the support group made sense. Yeah. And now we have two support groups, one in English, one in Spanish, with almost a thousand members around the world. And we help them with things like their anxiety, or panic attacks, or learning how to use their abilities properly so they they can help others or they can handle what's coming at them. Or we also help them to protect themselves and shut things down, depending on what their goals are. So those are our main goals with the foundation. And you know, these TV shows that I'm attached to uh, that may be coming out, may not be coming out, I've made sure that all the money will go to the foundation. I'm not taking a penny. Mm. You know, I don't need it. 
I'm in South America for goodness sake. It's not like New Zealand where, you know, you folks, I don't know how you survive here. <laughs> it's really expensive. It is. Yeah, you're yeah. right. You're right. You know, but where I live uh, in Colombia, uh, meals, uh, well, for you, $4, $5. So I, yeah. I can afford that. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's brilliant. And where can people, you mentioned uh, Patreon earlier, I think. Um, can people make a contribution through your site? Uh, sure. Yeah. Um, I guess the best, I'm not much good at this kind of thing. Yep. Uh, but if they were to go to warrenlegacy.com, I'm, I'm, Positive, there's a link there for Patreon, or just contact me online on Facebook is the easiest way. Um, you can contact my personal page is best. Don't contact my two public pages, Chris McKinnell No More Files, or there's another one that's Chris McKinnell for some reason. I don't know why. Uh, a duplicate sort of thing. Yeah, it's yeah, like, yeah. Honestly, just contact me personally. I'd be happy to help you in any way I can. Um, that's all that matters to me. Brilliant. And that was Chris McKill. And this was Occam's Razor episode 55. We'll see you next time.